0: Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad to be S-A-V-E-D. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God for the first jubilee here at Calvary Baptist Church in Dundalk, Maryland. And what a blessing. Man alive. It has been good. Hadn't it been good, preacher? It has been good. Thank God my soul has been fed. And I cried until I just didn't think I could cry anymore this morning. Then I cried a little bit more. Didn't think I could cry anymore. Then I cried a little bit more. It was just good. It was good. If we'd had four altar calls, I would have been in the altar all four times this morning. It was just God was squeezing my heart. And I've gotten some help. I'm glad uh, me and my wife were able to be here last night and then again this morning. And uh, we're excited about you being here. Thank you for coming and taking time out of your schedule to be a part of this jubilee. And I promise you, I promise you there is nothing more important happening in Dundalk, Maryland than what's going on right here tonight. And uh, I promise you, when as God looks down on this earth, I promise you there is not anything more important than than what's going on right here tonight, where the Word of God is being preached and people are getting help from the Word of God. And uh, I'm honored to be here tonight with uh, a dear friend of mine, and I want to say happy early birthday, preacher. Love you. I love your pastor. I don't make any bones about it. He is my dear friend. And uh, I, I thank God for him. And I appreciate him. And I appreciate you standing with him. Appreciate you standing behind him. I remember when we were running trim in our church. And he came and stayed with us a week. And we were building our new building. We were running trim. And God was working in his heart about bringing him here to Dundalk. And I remember him asking me, he said, Brother Watson, would you pray with me? He said, I really feel like God is, is changing the direction of my life and leading me to Dundalk, Maryland. Amen. And uh, well, we were praying with him. But, of course, my heart was broken. I mean, I hated to see him leave South Carolina. We miss you, brother. We miss you in South Carolina. But I'm convinced he's in the perfect will. You can't deny can't deny it. I remember walking through these doors eight years ago, and I'm going to tell you, when I walked through the doors tonight, last night, it's a different church. Yes, sir. In a lot of good ways. And your pastor's a visionary. And he's, he's a man that's got a firm grip on the wheel. He knows where he's going. And he's not going to let anybody snatch the wheel out of his hand. Amen. 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 He's got enough fight in him. Amen. You're asking for a fight if you want to lock horns with him. Amen. Amen. He knows what God has put him here to do, and he plans on doing it for the glory of God. And you do well to get on board with him. Get behind him 110% and watch God bless your life. I say this almost every year at the pastor and his mighty men conference, a church, can have everything else right. They can have 99.9% of everything right. They can have the doctrine right. They can have their music right. They can have their dress right. They can have everything. Everything can be right. Everything, the Sunday school department, everything from the preaching, everything can be right. But if that church does not get behind their pastor, and back their pastor. I don't care if they've got 99% of the things right. That church is dead in the water until they get that right. God will not bless. I know churches that you cannot deny that God's blessing, and they don't have everything just right. They don't cross every T and dot every right. They may not be right on some eschatology. They may not be right on some minor doctrines, things things that we split hairs over, But you can't deny that God's blessing that. But I'm going to tell you something. A church can have everything else right, but if they've got this one thing wrong, if a church, if the folks in that pew are not on board with the man in that pulpit, that church is dead in the water. God will not bless it. God will not bless it. God will not bless it until the the men in the pew are on the same page with the man in the pulpit. And that will invite the blessings of God on that church. Thank God, and I think we're seeing... Evidence of that right here tonight at the Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for backing your pastor. Don't ever just take for granted that he knows that you are with him, not just behind him, but with him. You let him know on a regular basis. Preacher, I'm with you. Amen. I'm with you. Thank God. Thank God. I love your pastor. Appreciate his family. And I appreciate him being right. I mean just, just having his family right. walking, uh, having a testimony that's right, and uh, I'm thankful for Pastor Stacy Shiflet tonight. Thank you, Preacher, I'm honored to be here tonight. We're gonna jump into the Word of God. I'm excited about hearing Brother Wenzel preach, so I wanna hurry up and get out of the way, but we're going to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number one tonight, 1 Peter chapter number one, the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we're gonna be in chapter number two, but I wanna read just a couple of verses in chapter one to use as a springboard. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Everybody glad you're here in church on Tuesday night. Wasn't that great singing? Thank you, Brother Wesley. Appreciate appreciate the Morrison family tonight. 1 Peter. Whoa, wasn't that choir good? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Makes me want to just jump up on top of the pulpit. Amen. I like it. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Everybody ready? Let's all stand to our feet. If you're physically able tonight, 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. When you come to the first chapter of 1 Peter, he is closing out the chapter talking about our redemption, our salvation, being born again. He talks about in verse 18 how we have been redeemed by something that is incorruptible. and That is the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. And then he tells us in verse number 23 that we've been born again of something that is incorruptible. And that is the seed of God's word, the word of God, the seed of God. And so we have been redeemed by the incorruptible blood of God. We have been born again by the incorruptible seed of God, which endureth forever. And the Bible tells us in chapter two, verse number one, wherefore, in light of the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we've been born of the word of God. He said, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, now what's this, that ye may, this, this word is important, grow that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want you to notice the first word in verse number three, the word if. In other words, what is happening in verse number one and in verse number two is conditional upon verse number three. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word. We are to be growing because of that word and that desire for the sincere milk of the word of God. But notice what he said, if. 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 i gonna tell you why a lot of folks have no desire for the word of God. I'm talking about folks who are in church. I'm gonna tell you why a lot of folks are not growing who sat in church every week of their life. Because they have not experienced the if. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I'm interested in that last word gracious. When we think about the grace of God in the Bible, The grace of God, grace refers to the divine influence upon the heart of man. And Peter said that we have tasted of this divine influence upon our heart. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If the Lord will help me, I want to preach for just a few minutes on this subject. Taste it but don't waste it. Taste it, but don't waste it. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here in this Jubilee meeting and how our hearts have been challenged and invigorated and strengthened and fortified. We thank you, God, Lord, for what our ears have heard. Thank you for the men of God that have fed our soul. Lord, who have spread the table with the word of God already in this meeting. Lord, we come to another service now. We ask you that you'd help us I pray, God, that you'd speak to us. I pray, God, that you'd make yourself real. Manifest your presence and your power, we pray, through the preaching of the word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said amen. Thank you for standing. You may find your seat. Peter said in verse number two that as newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow... Thereby, as a matter of fact, the theme of Peter's writings is growing in grace. We are encouraged and compelled throughout Scripture to grow in grace. Nowhere in the Bible do you find backsliding in grace. You always find grace moving us forward. Grace is not for moving backwards. Grace is for moving forwards. Grace is for growing. Grace is not for shrinking. Grace is for going forward. Grace is not for backing up. I begin to think about what is so prevalent in our modern day church, in the church of America, when it comes to the subject of the doctrine of grace. Let me say this. Whatever your definition of grace is tonight, if it makes it easier for you to sin against a holy God, you, my friend, have not got a biblical definition of grace. Grace is not for moving backwards. Grace is not to make it easy for me to backslide. Grace is to help me and empower me to grow, to move forward. As a matter of fact, God gives his... If you want a definition, if you want God's definition of grace... I wouldn't listen to Joel Osteen or Chuck Swindoll to get God's definition of grace. Let me tell you what God's definition of grace is. It's found in Titus chapter number 2 in verse number 11 through verse number 14 where the Bible says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly and godly. Amen, amen, amen. The grace of God God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace does. The same grace that saves us in verse 11 is the same grace that schools us in verse 12. It teaches us to deny some things, to deny, amen, ungodliness. In other words, when your preacher preaches against living ungodly, that's grace preaching. When your preacher preaches against worldly lust, that is preaching on grace. When your preacher preaches about living soberly and righteously and living godly, that's grace preaching. That's great. That's great. According to the Bible, that's grace. Grace preaching is not something that makes it easier for you to enjoy your flesh. Grace preaching is not something that makes it easier for you to backslide on God. Grace is what turns us from the very things that Satan would use to destroy our lives. Can I give you something from the scripture? Let me just say this. Grace is what makes us godly. It doesn't make us worldly. Now I know I'm fixing to swim upstream. But grace is not to make it easier for us to be like the world. Grace makes us godly. It teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I want to give you one verse of scripture, keep your place here, back up to the book of Acts. Let me show you a quick verse of scripture in Acts chapter number three. And I'm going to lay a little groundwork and then I'm going to preach. Acts chapter number three, look if you will, in Acts chapter number three and verse number 26, Acts chapter 3, verse number 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. And if the Holy Spirit would have put a period there, we said, Hallelujah, amen. But notice what he said he sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. One of the greatest blessings that God could ever give anybody is grace that turns us from our iniquities. He sent his son to bless you, not in giving you a new car and a big bank account, but he sent his son to bless you in turning you from your iniquities. And so God in his grace wants to bless us. God in his grace wants to turn us from the things that would destroy our marriage. He wants to turn us from the things that would break our children's heart. He wants to turn us from the things that would kill us prematurely. He wants to turn us from the things that would devastate the testimony of the church. That's what grace is for. That's what grace is for. It is the divine influence of Almighty God on the heart of man to turn him from his sin. Grace empowers us to live better than we really are. Grace empowers us to do the will of God. That's what grace is for. Amen. Now I know this may not go along with a lot of modern day songs and a lot of modern day preaching, but I'm going to stay in the Bible tonight. Let me give you a few things by way of introduction we need to understand about the grace of God. Number one, God is the only one who can measure it. God is the only one who measures grace. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter four, verse seven says it this way. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Do you know that grace is something that God measures? I don't know how he does it. I don't know what he he uses to do it. But Brother Schiffer, the Bible says that all of us were given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has gifts, but also Christ has gifts for his church. And thank God he's given us grace according to the gift of Christ. Now, number two not only do we need to understand that God is the only one who measures it, but number two, when it comes to grace, God is the only one who multiplies it. John chapter one, verse 16 says this way, and of his fullness have all we received grace for grace, that means grace on top of grace. On top. Every one of us in this building have experienced grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. God measures it and then God multiplies it. But watch this. Watch this. It is God who measures it. It is God who multiplies it. But number three, it is God who meets it out. It is God who ministers it. It is God who distributes it as he sees fit. Do you know that according to the Bible, God chooses who he wants to give it to and how much he wants to give it to to them. You remember when Moses was on the mount and God appeared to Moses and was giving him the law in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19. God made this statement to Moses. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Brother Brown, that doesn't mean that God is a Calvinist. That means that God is God and God can do whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to, and he don't have to explain it to me. He don't have to explain it to you. God said, I'll give mercy to whoever I want to give mercy to, and I'll give grace to whoever I want to give grace to. As a matter of fact, Paul quoted that in Romans chapter number nine, and then he said, does that mean that there's unrighteousness with God? Is God unrighteous because he gives grace to who he wants to give grace to? He said, God forbid. That doesn't mean that God's unrighteous. That means that God's God. That means that God can do whatever he wants to to whoever he wants to, however he wants to. And so I want you to notice, I don't know why. Boy, I hope God will let me just settle in right here and be able to preach tonight. Cause I don't understand. I don't know why, Brother Wetzel. God has chosen to give us the measure of grace that He has given us. While out of 8 billion people on planet Earth, the majority of people who live their entire lives and die will stand before God and never have one single ounce of the grace of God that me and you have experienced on a regular basis. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. Nobody in this building chose where you were going to be born. How many of you chose that you wouldn't be born in Afghanistan? How many of you chose you wouldn't be born in China or Iraq you didn't choose to be born in a place where we hear the gospel preached on a regular basis God will have be gracious to whom he will be gracious God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy I'm going to tell you something Dundalk you don't realize how good you got it here at Calvary this is a needle in a haystack tonight it's not like this everywhere brother I'm going to tell you something you didn't accidentally stumble across this I feel like I'm shut up up here brother we're up too high you didn't just stumble across this church you didn't just find this place by happen chance or happenstance. there's a God in heaven who in his divine providence and in his mercy and in his grace lets you and your precious family come across a little honey hole a little Melita hallelujah a little place where you hear unadulterated truth. You could be sitting in a jungle somewhere, beating on a drum, worshiping a stump with a towel wrapped around your head, but here you sit in the United States of America, hey man, you could be in a place Meeting in a little underground church somewhere, where they had to smuggle pages of the Bible in. But here you sit with a copy of the whole Word of God, and you don't have to worry about the authorities busting in the doors and taking them away. God will be gracious. Amen. That's good preaching. To whom He will be gracious? Yeah. What's this? God is the one who measures it. Amen. Yes. There's a God in heaven. Amen. The day you were born, Brother Bryant, God measured out a measurement of grace that he was going to give Joe Bryant. Young lady, the day you were born, God measured out grace and gave it to you. There's nobody in this building that has been given the same measure Out of eight billion people, Brother Adriel, we've all been given a different measure of grace. You cannot deny that. Pastor, my children had been given far more grace than me and my wife. I was 23 years old when I got saved. The first time I ever felt Holy Ghost conviction, I was sitting in a jail cell thinking, there's gotta be more to life than this. I didn't grow up in church, didn't know the Bible. I couldn't tell you the difference between Moses and Noah, didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. But I'm going to tell you something, both of my kids, preacher. Yeah, come on. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Since the time they were just one yeah. cell splitting into two cells in the womb of their mother, they've been hearing Bible preaching. They've been in the house of God and not just some liberal watered down social gospel yes. church. But they've been in a fire breathing. I'm talking about a place, brother. Amen. A place of worship a place, amen, where the power of God is, where the touch of God is, where the breath of God is. Amen. They've, amen, since the time my kids were in diapers, they saw men shouting and running the aisles, fired up for God. They've heard old time preaching since the day they were sucking on a bottle, sitting in the church pew. That's all they've ever known is the old time way. God has been gracious. They don't know what alcohol tastes like. They never had a cigarette to their lips. God's been good to them. I got an education in the public school. An education on sin. My kids have never known that, preacher. They've never known the things that go on in the public schools. And I could go on and on tonight, but I'm telling you, sitting in this building tonight is men and women and children that God, when he pulled out his measuring stick of grace, God measured it out. You think of how many families are sitting in darkness tonight. They've been going to church for years. They don't even know this exists. They don't even know there's anything like this on the planet. But you take for granted that you come here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and you come to Jubilee and you leave full and you leave fed and brother, there's people who will live their life and die and never know. Right in the bi- buckle of the Bible belt, they will never know that anything like this exists. And yet here God is piling grace on top of grace on top of grace. Now here's what, here's, we've, we're going to get down to where the rubber meets the road now. Here's what convicts me. Brother Tim, God could have chosen the measure of grace that He's given me. God could have given it to somebody who would have done a far better job with it than I have. In this building tonight, there's a lot of grace. God may have measured out this much, to you, this much 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 to you. And God's, I want everybody, I want you to take a trip. Just let me borrow your imagination for a minute. And I want you to take a trip down memory lane to the day God found you in the ditch. God pulled you up out of the gutter. And you think about. How good God's been to you. And the truths, the treasures of truth that God has let your ears to hear the precious wisdom of heaven. And I want you to think about how much grace I sit here, boy, I could go down memory lane and think of all the times as a lost man, I brushed shoulders with death. Just, Just stupid. I was stupid. Living a foolish life, brush shoulders that that close to stepping off into eternity with, yes, without God. And there'd have been somebody else preaching this slot tonight, because I'd be burning in hell right now. When I think of all the times I could have and should have died and been cast headlong into hell. Yet, for some reason, I was sitting in a jail cell, and for the first time in my life, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I never had a desire for church, no desire for God, no desire for the Word of God. I was living for me, me first, what Brother Deeks preached. It was all about me. Living in the life in the fast lane, living for, a- out of nowhere, there was a pool. I can't explain it other than to tell you it was the divine influence upon my heart. And I want to tell you tonight, when I think about the grace, I want you to, in your mind's eye, you you think about how, how much grace God has given you compared to the rest of the world. Compared to the rest of the folks in Dundalk. God may have given you this much grace. God may have given you that much grace. God, I want you to think about, it, and I want everybody in this building. I want you to hold your grace up, wh- wh- wherever that measurement is. You think about it. and You hold, I want you to hold your grace up. Hold it up, Amen. Hold it up. Everybody, hold your grace up. Think about it now. Think about it. Be honest. Be honest now. Be honest. Be honest, young man. Be honest. You could have been raised in a home with people who hated God and despised the church and laughed at old-time religion. But here you sit tonight. Think about it now. Now, here's my question tonight. Every one of us have been given a lot of grace. But I'm going to tell you something now. God gave us this with a purpose. Come on now. go ahead. Yes, sir. Yes. God did not just measure out such an enormous amount of grace just so you could talk about how good life is and how wonderful your family is and how blessed you are. But there's a purpose for that grace. God tells us that there's two things that we can do with it. want to show you that first of all that when God gives you that grace the first thing that happens is God will let you taste it. According to the Bible, according to what Peter said in verse number three, he said if so be ye have tasted. Thank God I'm glad that grace is something you can taste. Amen. And I want to just say this, he said in verse two as newborn babes Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby colon. If so be. Verse two is a conditional command. You will not have that desire. You will not have a desire to grow. You will not have a hunger for that book that you're holding in your hand if all you have is a little bit of religion, if all you have is a form of godliness, if all you have is a church membership or a baptismal certificate. But if you have been saved by the grace of God, you have tasted, you have tasted, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious and he said, if so be. Woo! He said, if you have tasted, it will create a desire in you for the milk of the Word of God, like a baby. Like a baby getting a little bit of milk on the palate of his mouth and having a desire for more of what he tasted. That's what grace will do. So what's this? Thank God. I'm glad that grace. Is something that we can taste. Psalm 119, 103 How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 34:80, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. Aren't you glad that grace is something that you can taste tonight? Aren't you glad it's not something out there that you just hear about, something that you just amen, talk about? But I'm glad it's something that you can taste. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you got a good taste of the grace of God that left you smacking your lips spiritually, hungering for some more of what God gave you a taste of. I'm gonna tell you what Brother Brown preached last night about the power of God. If you've ever tasted it, if you've ever tasted it, I'm gonna tell you something. It creates something in you that <laughs> <laughs> you'll never, if you ever taste of the power of God, you'll never be satisfied one day without it. Taste it, taste it. Oh, that grace that you're holding up. God wants you to taste it. God wants you to experience it. He wants it to be real to you. Amen, he wants it to be genuine. Notice, amen, that we can taste it. Amen. But Secondly, not only is grace something that God says we can taste, But Brother Wentz, of grace is something that God said we can waste. I want want you to go with me. We're going to take a quick journey, real quick. We're going to move into the book of Hebrews, just real fast. Back up a few pages to the book of Hebrews, just before James. And I'm not going to get into the details of these verses. These verses that I'm fixing to read to you, you're going to read 20 commentaries, you get 20 different opinions. I'm not here to tell you what these verses mean, but I'm going to tell you something that we all agree that they do mean. Right. Now what's this. Verse Chapter number 6, right. Hebrews chapter 6, look in verse number 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, for those who have... Tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers. That means they've tasted of the powers. They've tasted of the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put them to an open shame. Now, if I, if I was preaching on these verses, I would take time to tell you what I personally believe they mean. And let me tell you what they don't mean. They don't mean that you can lose your salvation. And if you want to know what they do mean, ask your pastor and he'll tell you. But let me tell you, what, let me tell you what I do know they mean. Let me tell you what I do know they mean. Whoever you want to say these folks are in verse four through six, I'll tell you who we do know they are. They are all people who tasted grace. Whether you think they were lost, whether you think they were, I'm not here to argue or debate with you, but you cannot deny that they tasted, they tasted, they tasted, they tasted of the heavenly gift. They were partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted of the good word of God. They tasted of the powers of the world to come. They tasted something. But now, they had the potential of wasting. Go with me to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number, let me just say this. Hebrews chapter 12. The Holy Spirit is painting a picture of the Christian life as a race. We're runners in a race and there's a great cloud of witnesses and we're all in this race and he talks about the weary runner, the wounded runner and he goes on down to talk about in verse number 15 in light of that, in light of the importance of running this race of grace. That's what this whole chapter's about, this race of grace and how God's chastisement keeps us in line in this race. In verse number 15, looking diligently Looking diligently, verse 15, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And so notice what the writer of Hebrews says. When we come to verse number 15, he says, as we run this race called the Christian life, we're to be looking, we're to be observing, we're to be overseeing how we're running this race, and we're to be looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, this does not mean to fall from grace. This word fail, look it up for yourself. Here's what it means. It means to come after or to come behind. The word picture there is that of a group of runners or a group of travelers, and they're all in a pack, they're all in a crowd, but there's someone coming behind lingering behind, failing to keep pace. If you look this up and you study, here's what, lest any man fail of the grace of God, it means to fail to keep pace with what the grace of God is trying to do in your life. I need some help. I need a church. I need some young folks to help me put together a quick church. Amen. All you, can I get some ladies, guys here, some of you young folks, y'all help me put, come on, y'all give me a hand. Amen. You guys come over here. We're going to get us a little church going. Just make some rows starting right there about the wall. Look this way. About four to a row. Amen. Y'all come on. I need a preacher. Amen. 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 Come here, brother. You right here. Yeah, you come on up here. Where's your Bible? Hey, what kind of preacher don't bring his Bible? There he is. Amen. Come on, ladies, y'all make another row right here in front of them. There you go. Let me tell you what God does. Every time we come to church, God is measuring grace. Every time. When you walk through those doors, let me tell you something about the church. The church is God's instrument of grace extended to you and your family, it is an umbrella of God's protection and grace. And that God measures out. Now God gives every church a different measure of grace. You cannot deny that other churches have not been given the measure of grace that this church has yes, been sir. given. Not only does God give every church a different measure of grace, God gives everybody in that church a different measure of grace. That's why you can sit there and man, God can be filling your heart up and you feel like you're going to bust and somebody sitting beside you sleeping. You cannot deny it. Preacher, you can't explain it. You can, amen. There'll be some folks that'll be on the edge of their seat. I mean, feeding on every word. Amen. Growing and le- Amen. And then there's some folks that seem like they've got a far look in their eye. They're la la lamb. Yes, sir. God is measuring out grace. There can be lost people in a congregation. Ten lost people. Nine not even be convicted. And one person, the preacher may feel like he's laid a big egg and feel like it was a dud. And there's one person back there under so much conviction. that, Amen. They can't sit still. They're squirming around in their seat, tears, putting up. How do you explain that? The measure of God's grace. Every time you come to church, God sends his messenger to the pulpit and opens this book. There's grace That's being meted out. There's light, there's grace that's being given in measures. It comes in measures. And so the preacher gets up on Sunday morning, your pastor gets up, Brother Shifflett gets up on Sunday morning and he gets up and he begins to preach. You know what, what's going on in the spiritual realm? God's measuring out grace and God may give you this much grace. God may be giving you that much and you that much and you that much but throughout the congregation, God's measuring out grace. Now watch what happens when God measures out grace. Amen. Jesus said with what measure? is measured in you. Amen. He said he that hath Amen. He said, Take heed. Amen. How you hear. But with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And he that hath to him shall more be given. And to him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. God is measuring. God is measuring. God is measuring. And God holds us accountable for the measure that he gives us. He said if he measures out that much, you better walk in every bit of that much. If he measures out that much, walk in every bit of that much. So God's measuring grace. And here's what happens. Sunday morning, the preacher preaches. God's, whoop, there it is. God's giving you grace. God's giving you grace. Hold it up. Hold your grace up. God, everybody hold your grace up. God's giving you grace. Amen. Preacher, you just preach it. Amen. You preach it. Now watch this. Here's what happens. When you walk in that grace that God just gave you, you say, I don't want to waste this. God gave me light today that I didn't, even, I didn't even know that was wrong. I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. But that's what the Bible says. So everybody take a step forward. Amen, preacher. Step on. Okay, now watch what. The church just grew. Right. Because God measured out grace to grow. Grace is for growing. Grace is for growing. You come back Sunday night, God's measuring out again. Measuring out. Let me tell you what God did yesterday morning. Let me tell you what God did Sunday morning, Sunday night, yesterday morning, last night, this morning. God's measuring grace. You know what God's doing right now? Right now in this service. There's a God in heaven adding to your measure of grace right now. Sunday night, hold it up. God measures out more. God's now, now now you're more to whom much is given, much is required. All right. Yes, sir. God gives you more. Boy, the preacher preaches. And the church said, hey, say amen. Everybody say amen. amen. And you walk in it. Walk in it. Take a step forward. Come back Wednesday night. God's measuring out again. Ooh, God's measuring out more grace. Amen. And the church said. Amen. Take a step forward. You come back Sunday morning. God's measuring out grace. Here it comes over the pulpit. God's giving grace. God's measuring out grace. Letting you hear things most of the world will never, ever, 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 ever hear. God gives you grace. The church said? And you take a step forward. You come back. Amen. When's Sunday night? more grace. God's measuring out. Whew, God gives you this much, that much, this much, all over the congregation. And everybody says amen. You walk in the grace God gives you. Walk in it. Grow in it. Amen. Mm, this be creating a, design, a desire. A desire for the sincere milk that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted of it. And so now you're getting hungry for it. And more's coming and you're growing and the church is growing. And Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and, Wednesday night, and Sunday. M- Let me tell you what I've seen since eight years ago when I walked through those doors when I walked through those doors I saw a church that was back there when I walked through the doors yesterday I saw a church that was hey amen because you're growing you're growing you're growing God's given more grace now watch what happens amen who wants to be the bad guy amen you want to be the bad guy will you be the bad guy alright I don't know you I'm not picking on you what's your name Nick, Nick's a bad guy. Amen. Amen. Now, keep preaching, preacher. You still preaching? Keep preaching. Amen. More grace, the church said. Amen. And the church takes, walk walk in that grace, grow in it. Now, you've got somebody who starts dragging their feet. Now, they used to sit on the front, now they move to the back. Come on, tell it. They used sir. to be saying amen. Now they're yeah. going to sleep in church. Something's it. wrong. Something's wrong. You're on it. Now they start coming in and act like they got a chip on their shoulders. Yes, sir. Now you're preaching. And something's not something's not right. Now they've now they've started talking to her. Or started hanging out with him. Uh-huh. Now, now they've gotten involved, started listening to this kind of music, or started watching this. Now they started spending their time doing these things that they had quit doing for a while when they were up there. Keep preaching. Keep growing, church. Keep preaching. Keep growing. Now watch what's happening. He's dragging his feet. Dragging his feet. That's what that word fail means. It means to fail to keep pace with what the grace of God is doing in your life. It's a picture of a group of travelers, a group of runners that are keeping pace with grace and there's someone who's failing to keep pace. And let me tell you something. This church has a pace. God has a pace of grace for every church. Some churches have a faster pace than others. This church has a very fast pace of grace because God's given you a lot of it. God's given you a strong leader because God's given you a lot of grace. And that grace, listen to me. Let me tell you what grace is not for. Grace is not for this. Modern day preaching has made grace out to be for this. Well, the Lord understands that I'm just human. This is not grace. This is grace. This is grace. Grace is moving forward. Grace is for growing. Grace is not for moving back. Grace is not for backing up. Grace is not for stepping back. Grace is not for quitting teaching your Sunday school class, stepping down out of the choir, cutting all your strings at the church, start missing Sunday school. That's not what grace is for. Because here's what happens every time. You go back and read it. I ain't got time to deal with it. Looking diligently, lest any man fails to keep pace with grace; lest any root of bitterness; yes. Yes. lest any root of bitterness. You mark it down. People don't get bitter right here. In twenty-five years of pastoring, Brother Shiflett, I've never seen people here get bitter and tear a church up. This is what, the, the first step to getting bitter. Is to fail to keep pace with the church. Because here's what inevitably you'll do. Well, it's just not like it used to be around here. Everybody, everybody just seems distant. I mean, they don't. They're not. They're not as friendly to me as they used to be. It just seems like people are not as close to me as they used to be. The church is not. It's not the church. It's not the church distancing themselves from you it is you dragging your feet spiritually and not keeping pace they're moving forward and you're not and when they keep moving forward and you're not you'll start getting critical you'll start getting critical you'll start finding fault in those that are trying to keep pace with the man of God and with the word of God and with the grace of God and they're trying to keep pace and you'll get bitter and then the next step is fornication lest there be any fornicator. Let me tell you something. Hey, man, you don't fall into sexual immorality up there. You fall into sexual immorality when you fail to keep pace with what the grace of God is doing in your life. You are setting yourself up for a downfall. David was the man after God's own heart, but when the kings went forth to battle, he was dragging his feet behind and got himself in trouble. Thank you, church. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That's tremendous, preacher. Tremendous. Now, listen to me. I know this is Jubilee, but I'm, pre- I'm preaching to the church, preacher. My heart is to help the church. I want to see this church flourish, continue to flourish for the glory of God. My heart's desire is to see every member of the Calvary Baptist Church here in Dundalk keep pace with the grace of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something God never gives us grace to move backwards God gives us grace to empower us and invigorate us to move forward now I want to show you something look back if you will go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and I'm going to get out of the way and Brother Wentz is going to preach 2 Corinthians 6 watch this 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 look in verse number 1 everybody there? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse number 1 Paul said, we then, as workers together with him. Let me just tell you what your pastor is. He is a worker together with the grace of God, with God working to help you to grow. Paul said, we are workers together with him. and We beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. As a worker together with God, your pastor every Sunday of his life and every Wednesday of his life is pleading with you not to waste the grace of God that God has measured out to your life. It doesn't matter what he's preaching. If it's in this Bible, he's trying to help you keep pace with the grace of God. And Paul said, we are workers together. Paul recognized that he was an extension of the grace of God to the lives of those sitting in the church views at the church of Corinth. And he said, we're working together. I'm a worker together with God to beg you and beseech you that you receive not the grace grace of God in vain. Don't let it be a waste. Can you imagine they had the Apostle Paul? They didn't have some Barney Fine preacher. They had the Apostle Paul preaching to them. They had a man that had a heart bigger than Texas to win souls to Christ. Brother Randy, I'm gonna tell you something, brother. If there's any man had a heart for souls and a heart for people. It was the apostle Paul. And he said, amen, God could have given them any preacher. God could have given them any pastor. God said, amen, God gave them Paul. And Paul said, I'm just an extension. I'm a laborer together with God and I'm begging you not to let all the grace that God has bestowed upon you and your family to go, amen, to go to a waste and to be in vain. Now what's this. Back up to 1 Corinthians. Just a few pages to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice it is possible for God to measure out grace and you receive that grace and it be in vain. You can't get around that verse. It can be a waste something God could have given somebody else who would not have wasted it. But he gave it to you. Now watch this. In 1 Corinthians 15, look in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. Everybody see that? They received it. And wherein ye stand, they were standing in it. By which also you're saved if you keep in memory. And this word saved is not talking about the salvation of the soul. It's talking about God. I'm going to tell you something. God saved my soul one time. God saved my soul one time. But God has saved my life time time and time and time and time and time again. Jesus saved my soul But preaching has saved my life time and time and time again since I've been saved. And notice what he said here. By the which you are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now what's this. Look down to verse 9. Woo. This is is rich. Look in verse 9. Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles. And that I'm not meet to be... Paul said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm, out of all of them, out of, out of the 12, I'm less, than the, I'm less than all of them. Less than the other 11. But notice what he said here. He said, I'm the least of all apostles. Not, not even worthy, not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. Now, let me just stop. Here's what, here's what he just said. Paul said, Paul became the greatest of all the apostles, planted more churches than any apostle. Amen, amen. One more souls. shook more, amen, shook more cities for God than any other apostle, wrote more of the Bible than any other apostle, was used mightier for God than any other apostle. And he said, I'm less than the least of them all. I'm, le- I'm less than Peter. I'm less than John. I'm less than, less than all of them. I'm less than the least of them all. Even Thomas the Doubter. I'm less than him. I'm less than the least of them all. But why was God using Paul more mightily than Thomas? Why was God using him more mightily than even Peter? Here's why. Paul said, by the grace of God I am what I am. But watch this. And his grace which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Yes. Woo! Yes. Mm. But I labored more abundantly than they all... It wasn't that Paul was a better man. It wasn't that Paul had more potential than they had. It wasn't that Paul, amen, it wasn't that Paul was given more grace than they were given. He said the difference between me and all the other apostles, he said it wasn't because I'm better than they are, I'm less than the least of them. I am what I am by the grace of God. And the reason I am what I am by the grace of God because the grace that God measured out to me and bestowed upon me, I didn't waste any of it. It was not vain. Peter doubted, Peter denied it other oh, apostles wasted some grace amen but I'm going to tell you one that didn't Paul said I labored more abundantly I walked in that grace I labored in that grace I served in that grace more abundantly than they are not I but the grace of God that was with me That's good. That's good. here's the difference Between Paul and the others, Paul labored in more grace that was bestowed upon him and did not waste it. It was not in vain. Paul was writing to the most carnal church in the New Testament. And some of them were wasting the grace of God. he's pleading with them. He's begging them, Brother Adrian, not to waste the grace of God. He said, don't look at me like I'm better than anybody else. He said, man, the only reason I'm standing here trying to challenge you to keep pace with grace is because the grace that was bestowed upon me was not a waste. I didn't waste it. Now watch this. Here's how he said you can waste it. In verse number one, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you and ye also receive, and wherein ye stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory, if you keep in memory, if, if, if you keep in memory, amen, what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. When Paul's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He said, there'll be some who everything they've done will be wood, hay, and stubble, yet they'll be saved but such as by fire. They'll have nothing to show for all the grace. Their belief will be in vain. They will have nothing to show for the grace of God that was bestowed upon them. And that's why he said, I'm begging you, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Let me just tell you something. When you forget... What God has given you from this pulpit, you are wasting the grace of God. There's nobody who heard better preaching than the church of Corinth. Paul had written 14 chapters of the word of God trying to help them with just about every problem you can imagine. And when he comes to chapter number 15, amen, when he comes to chapter number 15, he said, don't waste All the grace that God has given you. And by the way, the reason the church of Corinth was the most carnal church in the New Testament was not because they didn't receive enough grace. They received more grace than a lot of churches. The problem was they were wasting more grace. Here's how they were wasting God's grace. They were forgetting things that Paul had preached. Do you know that every time you hear preaching, God is measuring out grace. Every- God gives grace from the pulpit to prepare us for every problem we're going to face in life. God's already given us grace to face it. The reason a lot of folks come dragging in, their families is in a mess, their minds are in a mess, their marriage is in a mess is because they have wasted so much grace. They can't remember. They, they get in their car and they've already forgotten the truths that came over this pulpit. Your pastor doesn't come to entertain you. God, This is real. What I'm preaching right now is real. God is preparing us for things that we don't even know is coming. God sees over the hill. God sees down the road. God sees around the bend. God knows the tragedy, the heartache, the problems, the trials, the financial, the physical, the marital problems, everything. God sees it all. And God sends us grace. And if we forget about it, God could have given that to somebody who would have done something with it. God gave it to us, preacher. When we forget what's come from the pulpit, we are wasting God's grace. When the when we forget what's preached, that's right. In verse number two, when the flesh is not persecuted, verse number 31, Brother Deeks preached on this morning. He said, Paul said, I die daily. Let me just tell you something. And I'm not preaching this. Brother Deeks preached on me first this morning. But if I do not die to this old wicked, Rotten flesh every day. This flesh will cause me to waste the grace of God. I'm going to tell you something. There's been a lot of people with a lot more potential than any of us in this building. And tonight, they're washed out. They're burnt out. They're, amen, they're backed up, backed down. Their homes are busted up. Their marriages are over. Their kids are on dope. And they used to sit in churches just like this, used to sing in the choir, used to sing specials, used to, amen, used to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. It's not, it's not that God did not give them grace. They had so much potential. But the flesh, the flesh was not persecuted. And they let the flesh, they let old Amalek begin to live. And when they did not destroy all the Amalekites, I'm going to tell you what happened. It came back to haunt them down the road. When the flesh is not persecuted, you are wasting grace. When the preach, when the, amen, when we forget what's preached, we're wasting grace. When our fellowship becomes a problem. Paul said in verse number 33 evil communications corrupt good manners. That word communications means companions, companionship. Are you listening to me? I have watched so many folks preach over the years, start out so well had so much potential man had you talking about God pouring it on them God giving them grace on top of grace so much potential for God until they started listening to them it's never a what did hinder you it's always a who did hinder you You did run well. You did run well. You did run well. Who did hinder you? Preacher, I've watched so many folks throw away years of grace. Years on top of years. On top of years of large measures of grace. Throw it all away because they started fellowshipping with the wrong crowd. Right. Listen, listen to this preacher. And I'm I'm done. But I'm telling you, God didn't bring me all the way from South Carolina to come up here and just make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. I'm trying to help you tonight. Right. And I'm telling you something that could save your entire future. That could salvage your entire ministry. That could protect your children's children if you will get a hold of what i'm saying right now some of you here tonight if you don't if you don't, do not cut your strings with that crowd that's being critical, yes, that crowd that's, amen, criticizing and murmuring and complaining and they always find fault in everything that's going on at church. That They would find fault in Jesus if he was here. They'd find fault in the apostle Paul if he was here. they find fault and now you've been, hey, at first you didn't listen, but now you've been listening to him. Now you've been talking on the phone and texting right. with them, and going out to eat with them, and sitting down, I'm gonna tell you something. Right. Let me tell you what you're fixing to do. You're fixing to waste a lot of grace. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he tells us, Brother Brown, that we're going to give an account. We're going to receive according to the works that we've done in this body whether good or evil. And Paul said this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Paul said, it makes me tremble. Here's a man that hadn't wasted any grace and he still trembled. Knowing the terror of the Lord. When I think about, I'm going to give an account for all the grace that God's given me. And what I've done with that grace. You see, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I don't believe that we're just going to be rewarded for what we did with this grace, but God's going to show us why he gave us this grace and what he intended for us to do with this grace. And he's going to not just reward us for what we did. He's going to show us what we could have done had we not wasted the grace that was bestowed upon us. I'm standing here tonight to tell you And brother, I'm telling you, God plowed me under this morning when Brother Deeks was preaching on soul winning. That's something I never feel like, that I'm a good enough soul winner. I never feel like I tell enough people. I don't know, Brother Bryant, how many times I walked into a convenience store and I reached in to grab a gospel track and the flesh gave me a thousand reasons why it was a bad time. There was a line behind me. They were busy. It was a bad time. I didn't want to hold up the line. And walked out and got in my truck knowing that I was supposed to tell. I don't know how many times I've walked into a place of business and walked by people and not even thought about stopping to talk to them. I don't know how many times I've worked on a job site around folks and not even taking time to stop and talk to them about their soul. And when I think about that, preacher... When I think about the measure of grace God's given this old boy and I think about the fact that Brother Brown one day I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and God's going to show me why he gave me the grace that he gave me it makes me shake in my boots brother knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade. Men. Let me tell you why God gave you this. Is everybody, everybody hold your grace up? Hold your grace up. Let me tell you why God gave you this to persuade men. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. You're going to see that grace again at the judgment seat of Christ. Don't waste it. Let's all stand our feet, preacher. I'm done preaching. We stand our feet all over the building. We're standing all over the building. Altars open. No question. God spoke. God moved. Don't sit there and waste it. Don't make the Holy Ghost have to speak to you twice.